In today's episode of the Aman Wire podcast, we have to put Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the center of our consciousness. This is not about trying to emulate or trying to assimilate. This is about trying to worship Allah and be people of ihsan, people of beauty. And I'm confident if I'm connected to my Lord, I'm confident in my conception of beauty that it is actually beautiful and that I do want to see it reflected in the, the cultural world around me. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Manwar podcast. Salim here with my co-host Ghaidar. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. How are you, Salim? Good, alhamdulillah. And joining us today is uh, Ustad Abaydullah Evans. Assalamu alaikum, Ustad. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Ghaidar. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah. Well, well. Alhamdulillah. It is uh, an absolute uh, honor to be on the Iman Wire podcast and uh, in conversation with you gentlemen this morning. Oh, it's always a pleasure uh, to have the caliber uh, of um, you know uh, your uh, talents and expertise, and uh, we are very honored to have you in the area. And we thought that it's uh, very much needed that we have uh, a very good conversation, inshallah, with you. Inshallah. And uh, I'll let in, uh, Salim maybe introduce that, inshallah, uh, especially that he is with us, uh, Allah, with uh, the Alim program. Right, right. right. And uh, yeah. the Alim program is uh, this is his twentieth year, right? Yes, this is uh, of the uh, summer program. Correct? The twentieth year of the summer program. Right. Yes. Although we started in 1998. So okay. this would be the 21st, 21st year since the inception of Alam. But one year we didn't do the summer program. So this is the 20th year for the summer program. Well, mashallah, I mean, uh, I, I think a lot of uh, a lot of our listeners are, are um, certain familiar with the Alam, uh, of course, which is, stands for American uh, Learning Institute for Muslims, correct? Correct. And, uh, but just for our listeners who, who don't know about Alam, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what what its vision is and what it's been doing, um, you know, the, the summer program in particular, uh, what basically you are all about and what trying to trying to accomplish. Well, you know, Alam, uh, its name contains something of a paradox because even though we are Alam, and of course, as you mentioned, that acronym stands for the American Learning Institute for Muslims, we don't actually endeavor to produce ulama, which would, you know, an Alam, of course, in Arabic uh, is used to refer to a scholar, and ulama is the plural of alim. Uh, we don't actually endeavor to produce ulama. We want to see the broad generality, right, of Muslims be religiously literate. And I know this is a, a modern term that some people take issue with, but uh, we use it without reservation, empowered. This feeling that one can live spontaneously and authentically uh, as a Muslim Working in whatever field of endeavor you work in, uh, be it uh, in the professional sector, be it in government, uh, be it in a creative uh, field, and that you can reference this rich uh, tradition that we've been given uh, in Islamic scholarship to give, uh, to enhance uh, your work and to give it uh, texture and flavor uh, that directly references uh, the Islamic tradition. So... You know, we do a three-week uh, study intensive in the summer, and we focus both on core Islamic subjects like sirah, like usul al-fiqh, like mustalahat al-hadith, like uh, the prophetic biography, like jurisprudence, like hadith terminology. But we also try to do contemporary uh, issues like dealing with Islam and liberalism, Islam and scientism, 
um, uh, Islam and gender, Islam and race, the history of Islam in America. Uh, so we try to mix it up. We try to make sure that people are acquainted with the tradition, but then we try to offer courses that show how a rich and thoroughgoing knowledge of the tradition can be deployed uh, to inform our perspective on contemporary issues. And that's actually sort of apropos to, I think, what we were hoping to talk about today with you, especially given the focus of Alan, because, you know, I, I think, you know, especially growing up uh, here, there was always this talk about, like, you know, especially in the immigrant community about, like, are you American or are you Muslim or you know, how does that always connect? And, and I think, like, I think, I think these days we, we, you know? we're like, we talk about that talk, and we're like, ah, yeah, that's, that's, that, we don't, we don't talk about that kind of stuff anymore. Mm -hmm. But there certainly is still room for a lot of discussion about how, uh, Muslims um, from whatever subgroup of uh, you know ethnic or community they're 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 hailing from in, in this country, how they live up their life as Muslims in in, in this American culture, and uh, I think there's still a lot of tension about what exactly that means. And you know, one of the things that we were talking about offline was this idea of um, you know of customs in the uh, of, and 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 the weight of custom or orf in. Uh, Islamic law and in the 1400 year of, of uh, history of the Islamic leader, legal tradition and in practice and you know throughout the Muslim world and so I, you know one of the things we were talking about earlier offline was that you know what well, a lot of these issues are obviously need to be um, hashed out here in America even now even though Muslims have been here for for generations um, and that sounds like a lot of uh, especially in, in the Alam program is trying to make Muslims conversant with that tradition and sort of understand some of the important principles and, and, and how to apply them in certain contexts. So it'd be interesting to hear some of your um, your thoughts about this sort of broad topic of American Muslims, um, American culture, American Muslim culture. We hear, we hear that talked about a lot, you know, even to the point where some people say American Islam. So what are some of your mm -hmm. thoughts on that? Well, subhanAllah, I think it's absolutely inevitable that as Islam becomes indigenized in a place, it will begin to take on some of the colors, some of the flavors, some of the taste, some of the textures of the vernacular culture you know, of that place. So that Islam in Indonesia looks Indonesian, uh, and Islam in Morocco looks Moroccan, and Islam in Senegal looks Senegalese. So to some degree, a, a kind of uh, a, a cultural... Uh, coloring of your practice of the religion is inevitable. So when people talk about religion and culture as though they are diametric uh, opposites, as though they are mutually exclusive, I, I think this uh, might be somewhat inaccurate. Uh, however, when one talks about urf as a legal construct, I think a lot of people don't recognize that urf in and of itself, this idea of like customary practice built into the term is a kind of religious conservatism, is a kind of cultural conservatism. Because urf comes from arafa, which means to know. Urf is that which is known. And it's also, it comes from the same root as the ma'aruf, the good. So there's this idea that the good is that which is known. And we're generally, you know, skeptical about that which is unprecedented. And in America, when you, you know, this is something that I think is characteristic of uh, post-enlightenment thinking. We actually believe that we're always getting better. We believe that we're more humane. We're more human. We're better than people who came before us. So we don't really place, a, uh, we don't place the same value on 
like the received inherited cultural practices of people that came before us. We don't it's we don't we don't completely jettison or discard culture. But I don't think uh this idea of upholding cultural values of the past just generally speaking, I don't think uh, uh just given kind of the philosophical history of the West uh, in general, in America in particular, I don't get the sense that people would be as invested in this idea of, well, this is the way things have always mm. been. And the Orf, actually, as a construct, it invests heavily in the idea that this is the way that things have always been. So I think it, it's hard to talk about like an American Orf because it is so dynamic. It does change uh, so quickly. I mean, what is the Orf? Even, I'll give you like a, a practical example, if I can go into a practical example. So uh, one place that you see Orf invoked a lot is in uh, the fiqh of marriage, like marriage, like family law. So let's just basic case. You know, person A marries person B, right? And they don't specify uh, a marital gift, uh, 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 a mahar, haq mahar, right? You know, I once called it a dowry, and a Daisy man got very angry at me. <laughs> Muslims don't give dowries. That's a Hindu thing. I go, haq mahar, you know, whatever, however you, a marital gift is uh, how I typically refer to it. So they, they don't specify one, but they consummate the marriage without specifying one. Then before uh, specifying a mahar, he decides that he wants to divorce. The woman. So they consummate the marriage. Now he's deciding upon divorce. Her mahar would have been determined by urf. You see? So we would look at, you know, this woman's social class, what's kind of a conventional uh, mahar. And that mahar, now that they're uh, heading to divorce, would have been determined by urf. So whatever the urf is, this is the mahar that he would have to give. This is in all of the madahib. Now, in America, how would you do something like that? Would you say, well, you know, you come from a, a lower middle class family and generally speaking, $10,000 is okay. And when the person says, yeah, but I come from a lower middle class family, but I was at Harvard Law School. You know, I come from a lower middle class family, but I was a first year associate at uh, this law firm. So the what 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 exactly, how would you... So maybe $10,000 is a suitable mahar from, for someone of my socioeconomic background. But for me individually, that would not be a mahar that I would accept. And I've actually had cases like this where a woman's like, $10,000? Who do you think I am? I'm like, well, based on order, I mean, you know, someone from your family, your background, that would seem to be uh, suitable. So we, we have a, a culture where people actually exult in the ability to transcend the specifics of their cultural background or their socioeconomic background or, you know, so, you know, a, a culture that values this kind of individuality. And I'm not just talking about in expression, but even in trajectory, even in where I want to go, what I want to do, how I see myself, how I define myself. Uh, it's very difficult to apply uh, or as a legal construct, it's very, it's very. I find uh, a lot of complexities uh, uh, emerging when we try to like apply things according to order, because you know America. Uh, when you talk about American culture, 
you're you're talking about multiple American cultures. You know, I I think, um, you know, African-Americans, and I'm African-American if my, the cadence of my voice didn't give me away. Um, uh, They have a authentically American culture, but it differs uh, significantly uh, uh, from, I guess, what you would call the dominant American culture. But they don't feel that it's any less American or any less authentic, uh, nor do they feel it's any less legitimate. But culturally, it's different. It feels different. It, it, it tastes different. So I, I think, um, I guess what I'm saying is that Orf will inevitably play a role in our religious practice, in our understanding of our uh, faith. Um how that will be codified, systematized, I think right. it's just uh, it's up for grabs. I don't know. Wh- I don't know what that will mean for people as fiercely uh, individualistic as uh, Americans appear to be. Yeah. So this interesting point because you know, in terms in terms of in terms of this all. I mean, like, are we? Muslims have been here for generations, certainly, but are we just beginning our own tradition of an all here? Like, so for example, take your example of the. The mahar, or, or another example could be like just what is what qualifies as proper maintenance uh, or caretaking for for um, for a wife, right? Because that has differed That's over over the legal the tradition in different right. societies, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, or you know, the mahar here, you know, um, and, the, and the maintenance. So, are we at a point where we are starting to to develop that tradition? Is this going to ha- happen over time, or, or how is it going to look? But then you raise another point: is like, well, there's going to be different. There may be different customary expectations because we have we're so such a diverse community, right? Yeah, it's 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 very difficult. I mean, you know, take something for instance, like, um, and forgive me, my background is in law, but I don't want to restrict mm-hmm. our exploration of the concept of order to law because mm-hmm. it's broader than law. But law is where you see the term used and deployed uh, most often. So a lot of my references will be legal, uh, but I don't want people to. Uh, uh, go away with this uh, misconception that it's just about law. Culture is much broader than law, but orf is primarily a legal concept. Mm-hmm. So take, for instance, like you say, kawama, like maintenance. Uh, and uh, what if someone complains that her husband does not uh, uh, pay for her cell phone bill? And she says, this is just orf. Everybody in America has a cell phone. And that, you know, if... I'm not given uh, a cellular phone. This is neglect. My husband is uh, financially neglecting me. Then you have certain people, like even out Sheikh, that does not have a cell phone. Like, no, you could say, no, not everyone has a cell phone. Not everyone has a cell phone. Some people don't have a, I mean, you know, you don't need a cell phone. You know, even this idea of, like when we were talking about um, uh, home ownership, and for me, home ownership is something that is dororí for mm. a, a community that wants to be established in a place. So when I say, look, home ownership is, is like it's a, it's a necessity to own your home, not merely to live in a home, but to own your home. For me, your kumu makama dorora, it's a necessity. I have people tell me, no, it's not. You don't have to own your home. That's not, that's not, a, that's not, a, that's not. Who established that cultural precedent? There's lots of people in America that don't own their homes. Riba is haram. Interest is haram. I'm like, how can you live without owning your home? So it's just so many. Uh, um, it's, a ve- it's, a, it's, it's very difficult to talk about it uh, unless 
we allow kind of multiple expressions of Urf that for some people, having a cell phone, that woman is absolutely right. If her husband does not pay her cell phone bill, he's negligent in, in terms of his, uh, you know, making provision for her. Um, in some cultures, he wouldn't be. In some cultures, you know, uh, a man is negligent if he doesn't provide his children with money to go to college. You know, he's, 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 he has somehow been negligent in his responsibility toward his children. In some cultures, all of us go to college with debt. You know, so it's, it's you know, it, uh, it's, um, uh, it's, it's very difficult to just pin it down to a single expression. But if we um, look at it as something that has multiple and, and, and multifarious uh, expressions, uh, then it, it, we, we begin to see it uh, have some relevance, I think. So that might be disconcerting for uh, um, like some American Muslims to hear because especially, uh, I guess the, the question would be, okay, then particularly how do American Muslims, especially American Muslim scholars, you know, navigate certain issues in dealing with people in their community where there, are, there may be all these different customary norms amongst different sub, you know, people in the community, you know, the examples you mentioned in, in, in some of those examples, you know, so where is... How do you how do you deal with different standards? You know, and this is this is where I think Imam Shafi'i's uh, Allah his example of you know going from Iraq right. uh, to uh, Qahira to Cairo, and really taking time to learn the people. Uh, I think his example is absolutely instructive in that. I, I think that you know, and not and not assuming things about people because of their cultural or socioeconomic backgrounds or even geographical uh, backgrounds. I mean, if someone asks me for a religious opinion, uh, I really investigate things about that person. So if mm -hmm. a person asks me something about their professional life, I'll ask, what kind of work do you do? I'll ask, um, what do you think your, how do you think your colleagues regard your performance at work? Are you a stellar? Employee, are you mediocre? Are you subpar? Because all of this might have, uh, you know, if you were to, say, quit your job today, would you be able to support yourself? Could you take care of your family? Right? Do you, do you have savings? All of these things are very important. Before I tell somebody, yes, doing that job is haram, you should quit. You know, or go to your, go to your supervisor, tell him you refuse to sit at a table at which wine is being served. I, I would need to know all of these details about the person so that uh, the opinion I give is something that, you know, promotes uh, that person's uh, good religious standing and doesn't push them into things that we would like to avoid as people trying to teach people the deen of Allah. You know, uh, his penury and being you know, poor or destitute or all of those details are important. When people come and they ask questions about marriage, you know, I need to know well, what, what, what is your relationship with your parents like? How, how, you know, how is your relationship with your parents? Before I say, yeah, you know, your father's tripping, you know, he's being a racist. Just, you know, take the hand of your pain, elope, marry the guy. And no, 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 that could get you killed. I'm very sensitive to that, you know. You know uh, so here we see fiqh. It, it can't exist on its own. That's what I think the upshot of all of this conversation about Urf. It has to exist alongside tarbiyah. You know, I think that a person's, uh, a, the person that you consult for fatwa 
should be a kind of murabbi, should be a, a person that knows you, knows your particular circumstance, and in addition to explicating the law, is trying to nurture very specific praiseworthy qualities in you as an individual Muslim. Uh, but this only comes when someone knows you very well. And this is why I think in our time, talking about this urf, a close personal relationship with scholars, uh, those men and women that give us religious instruction, uh, it's very it's very important that when I'm speaking, I'm not speaking to someone that's you know giving me opinions on the basis of broad generalities that may or may not apply to me as an individual, but someone that can give me an individualized opinion based on their knowledge of me. And uh, this is, um, I think, you know, the safest approach for Muslim scholars, to know who you are talking to. This is why people that stand up, give fatawa, like in the middle of, you know, 1,000-seat uh, auditoriums, I'm like, be careful, man. You don't know who's taking that opinion and how they're taking it. So, for instance, uh, what do you do about a person who asks a question about uh, student loans? Right? Can I take out a student loan? And, uh, you know, uh, a scholar says, well, you know, in the fiqh of Abi Hanifa in Dar al-Harb, in, uh, in a boat of war, you can, uh, you know, both take and give uh, interest, right? And then someone else is thinking, well, I'm thinking of opening a liquor store. You know, uh, yeah, I mean, if it's, this is Dar al-Harb, that too might be something valid to do. Is and that so, argument some of those guys use? Yeah. Really? The most, most liquor store owners actually use a dal harb, you know, these kufar. I don't care what happens to them. You know, I actually had someone tell me, I hope one of them gets intoxicated and crashes his car, right? Less tax dollars going to Israel. No consideration I, about killing like local communities. Yo, no, no, of course. So my point, my point is that the scholar has to know that, okay, who am I talking to? What exactly do they want to know? How are they using? Uh, good, okay, speaking of orf, you know, uh, I, I once heard a story. I wasn't there firsthand, right? So uh, the hadith is, uh, you know, it's morsaliani. I wasn't there. It's hanging, right? Uh, but a friend of mine said a sheikh came from uh, Saudi. And someone said, sheikh, is it haram? to have a tree in your home and put some lights on it. And the sheikh said, halal, yani, what's, what's wrong with a tree? And there's certainly nothing wrong with lights. But he was talking about a Christmas tree, you see? So you have to know. Now, if someone asks me the question, the sheikh from Saudi doesn't know. He doesn't know the culture right, right. of the people he's addressing. If someone asks me that question, I said, are you referring to a Christmas tree? Haram, mm-hmm. right? So you just have to know uh, people and, and kind of where they're coming from on this broad uh, cultural map uh, that, that, that America presents us with. I just thought it was funny, uh, Sheikh, you know, uh, a Saudi Sheikh told me it's halal. You were telling me it's halal. Yeah, 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 he told me, he told me it's halal. I'm thinking because he doesn't know. He doesn't know who he's talking to or what they intend uh, by his by, by the question, he doesn't know. Yeah, it's really interesting, uh, Sheikhna, uh, that you mentioned this, and uh, you know, uh, we, you know, 
started by talking about ARF in an American context and uh, the you know, role of cultural norms and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I remember when we were first starting to introduce ourselves to this topic, you know, we mentioned that historically in the Muslim world, and especially in the books of uh, fiqh, and even if we can kindly move away from the legality of things mm -hmm. uh, connotated to this, um, you know, mustalah uh, or to this uh, uh, terminology, uh, the cultural practice has been sort of uh, the same at a certain area in a certain time, you know, in the Muslim world. And mm -hmm. therefore, urf or uh, cultural norms were more of a, um, you know, post to kind of refer things to and, mm -hmm. and use it as a reference. Mm -hmm. But in America and in the 21st century and in the advent of social media and, and, and the other dynamic things that are ever changing, mm -hmm. uh, you know, how do we, uh, and I understand you mentioned kindly, uh, you know, some of the things that we have to individually ask and know the people's background. But in terms of culture, if we can move away from legal, you mm -hmm. know, uh, from the legal umbrella, uh, what would be the approach in a sense, you know, at least philosophically, because I think about the Urf in America as the anti-Urf, you know, like mm -hmm. we were uh, talking, you know, mm -hmm. there's no set standard. Yeah, there's no. no, you know, everybody comes from... You like know, going against the green. Right, exactly. And, mm -hmm. going against, and, and at the same time, you can't really use it because, you know, we live, let's say, uh, in any you know metropolitan area you know there's mm -hmm. there's people from all over the world and uh, it it can be actually a very unique american experience because mm -hmm. um you know even though you know western europe has a lot of you know immigrant communities but maybe not as much as mm -hmm. the us mm -hmm. or other parts of the world how do you you know um suppose we can kind of um you know move away uh not move away or move into this, uh, you know, engagement of, of our society as Muslims, because I, I there's think, a lot think, of there's a lot of reference still to the old, mm -hmm. and people always find themselves perplexed about that. If I know? could, if I could just add to the question, because from what you we just said earlier, Sheikh, uh, you know, as someone who's like you know looking at uh, the the corpus of Islamic law, right? You know, um, the weight that Orf has has a certain weight when you look at all the different you know, uh, parameters in determining, you know, uh, things in Islamic law. But then if we're talking about being in America where, you know, Orf is like the collective practice of, of a community that's that's known, as you said. Um, but if we're going to make this statement that um, there is no collect, there, there is or there is not a collective practice that exists um, in America to such a weight that it can have that same sort of weight that it did in in other Muslim cultures, other Muslim countries. So, what for for the American Muslim and for the American Muslim scholar? I mean, are we are we discarding that um, that the concept of orf at all in our legal opinions and our ideas? And is it all based on just what an individual's background is? You know, Bismillah. Yeah, to try and address both questions, I think when we talk about culture um, broadly, uh, to uh question. We have to see ourselves as kind of the active producers of an American Muslim culture, not just consumers of American culture. We have to see ourselves as producers of American culture. So sometimes when, when Muslims address themselves uh, to this question, it's like, do we do option A 
or do we do option B in terms of what is culturally acceptable? And I'm always emphasizing that America has this space for you to create option C. And if you are confident and secure in your belongingness, that option C will become as thoroughly American as option A or B. Um, So I think that's just about us having, number one, confidence. You know, confidence in the fact that we belong wherever Allah has placed us. Number two, confidence that America is, you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm reluctant to talk about America as though it is this uh, wonderland and this kind of American exceptionalism in America. Is, you know, but America is, uh, there are some things about America that are exceptional. And I say this as an African-American that is not asleep on uh, the moral failings of this country past and present. But we have to acknowledge that America is different than uh, Europe or the countries in Europe because America is not supposed to be tied or wedded to the cultural history and narrative of one particular people. America is supposed to be about a set of ideals that different people can uh, come into and even shape and define. I mean, you know, for the you know better part of the early uh, part of America's history, you know, African Americans made up an enslaved community of Americans uh, who had, you know, no constitutional rights. Right? They were property, and yet, when you think about um, the American civil rights discourse, what would it be without African Americans? And if you think about America, what would it be without its civil rights discourse? So, you know, here you have a people didn't even have legal standing, and yet they're defining America. They're shaping America. So I say to Muslims, what, ha- what has happened to us that if people that were enslaved in this country could shape it, could, could, could define it, right, could play a part in, in carving out its contours, its culture, its language, I mean— up to, you know, from its civil rights discourse, even to, you know, America's popular uh, cultural expression that's exported all over the world. Like that American concept of cool. I still think that African-Americans are the principal definers of that, even if they're not the principal beneficiaries of its, its export. But they define it. So what are Muslims, you know, where, where did this, this, this lack of, of confidence to be ourselves come from. Now, I do have an idea about that. Why, as Ghaidar mentioned, we stay frozen in the past. And I think if you look at um, cultures that were impacted by colonialism, there's always a pre-contact and post-contact. In post-contact, the only authentic self that I think I can have is the, is the self that existed before contact with the, with the colonizer. That's the only thing authentic. Everything after that is somehow compromised. Everything after that is, you know, my, my, my choice is to assimilate or just reside in the past. And I think we have to somehow, and I have an idea of how, we have to get past that. And the only way we can get past that is by putting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, I know we're kicking intellectual stuff here. We have to pr- do some preaching, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have to put Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the center of our consciousness, this is not about trying to emulate or trying to assimilate 
This is about trying to worship Allah and be people of ihsan, people of beauty. And I'm confident if I'm connected to my Lord, I'm confident in my conception of beauty, that it is actually beautiful and that I do want to see it reflected in the, the cultural world around me, in my home decor, in the literature that I write, in the plays that I write, in the, uh, the industrial design that I make. I, I, I'm confident that it's not just a simulacrum of you know, Eurocentric norms. No, I'm confident that it is something that is uh, jameel. It is something that is uh, beautiful because it's connected to Jamal, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You know, you know it, that it, but you only acquire that confidence through uh, worship, through really being connected to Allah. Otherwise, you, you just stay suspended in this, am I a cultural imitator? Or let's go back in the past when I wasn't uh, a cultural imitator. We, I think, and I think we have to get past that so that we can unleash uh, this, this Muhammadan creativity that um, the Prophet, والسلام, I mean, you know, he, he was the progenitor of a great civilization, of a great culture. And uh, I think American Muslims have uh, an important and dynamic role to play in revisiting the creation of that kind of dynamic and vibrant Muslim culture. But we have to be confident. Uh, in terms of, uh, Salim, you know, your question about, you know, how do we create standards? I think we have to create them the old-fashioned way. You know, the people who... Um, want to create cultural standards to which broad groups uh, will see themselves as beholden to. Uh, they have to do it by being compelling people. You know, when I ask uh, a sheikh a question, and the question involves something cultural. So take, for instance, uh, men imitating women and women imitating men in dress. And this is something that the Prophet explicitly, you know, uh, forbade that men would imitate women or that women would imitate men. But when I ask a, a sheikh a question about a particular style of dress or wearing a particular color, yes, uh, he will, his, his, his answer will involve both the legal and the cultural. The legal part is that men can imitate women and women can imitate men. The cultural part, though, is do, do you think that wearing pink is an imitation of women? Do you think that wearing yellow is an imitation of women? Now, if I think the sheikh is compelling in, uh, or the sheikha in his or her example, and uh, then what they tell me, I'll probably be willing to accept if he says wearing pink is an imitation of women. Now, I'm religiously literate, mashallah. So I know that the legal part of the answer was men can't imitate women. The cultural part of the answer was that pink is an imitation of women. But if I think that you are the kind of person I want to, to emulate, you individually, the sheikh or the sheikha, you are compelling, then maybe I'll accept your, your, your legal answer and your cultural answer if I find you that kind of person. If I don't, I might just accept your legal answer. Okay, I know that it's haram for men to imitate women, but this pink, now this is just my culture. I do men, in my culture, men wear pink. In my culture, men wear earrings. That's not, that's not imitation of women, et cetera, et cetera. So I think if people want cultures that are, you know, exemplary, they just really have to be compelling and exemplary people. So that you can say, you know, and if you look at kind of the early fiqh tradition, this is, you know, my read of it is that when people were asking Malik for fatwa, 
it wasn't just, you know, Malik, give us your legal opinion. No, when, when Malik would say, uh, it's something that I don't like, this was enough for someone not to do it. You know, uh, I wouldn't do it. He didn't have to say, this is haram. I don't like this. I probably wouldn't do that. So they're saying that what? Even your cultural expression of Islam is something I'm willing to take as my own because of how they thought about Malik. You see? That raises another point in, in that about um, when, culture, when cultural shifts occur. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in something like you know, talking about uh, men imitating women or some some uh, something like that. You know, say for mm-hmm. the example earrings. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, back when when uh, when I was growing up, you know, no no man wore an earring, right? In this mm-hmm. American culture, right? Mm-hmm. Then there was a shift, and then there was a shift that there was only a certain type of men, and we know we mm-hmm. wore, wore a certain type of earring, right? Mm-hmm. Then there was a shift again, right? Um, and certainly, yes, as you mentioned, like in some some other cultures, so for example, a man wearing an earring that that was that was normal. So I think one of the things that's challenging, um, especially in like this our postmodern condition where things are changing so rapidly mm-hmm. and norms and cultural ideas are shifting and changing so rapidly. Uh, it's very, it's, it's a daunting uh, task for a lot of, not just Muslims, but anybody to try to deal with these it's shifting crazy. cultural See, norms. It's crazy. And, and there's always, so I, I guess my question is in the sense of there's, you know, a, a certain practice could be deemed um, like, prohibited at, at one point in time, right? Mm-hmm. And then the culture shifts. I'll, I'll give an example. I, I don't know if this is a good example or not, but another example, uh, something I've, I've been noticing, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I would never hear profanity in terms of language in a, in a public sphere unless you were in a very seedy area, right? Sure, a seedy yeah, place, sure. right? Mm-hmm. I could walk to the my parking lot, I, I'd be in a parking lot, and I, I could be co- pretty confident that nobody's going to be swearing vulgarity, right? Sure. That's not the case anymore today. Yeah, to the man. point where even now where I can go to a Muslim gathering and it's almost, it's not unheard of to hear vulgarity or profanity. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. Cha- the people's conception of what, and, and, and the, the idea of like whether it's haram or halal is, is a different story of profanity. But people's um, experiences are changing. Of, of, of just what's acceptable. Right. It changes so to the point, quickly. Like, like, where, what happened? Like, you know, Gone with the Wind when Clark Gable says, like, frankly, my, my dear, I don't give a, you know. Right. And that I was like, oh, my gosh, that's horrible. Now if someone says that, even in a Muslim sphere, no one would even bat an eye. But back then it was, quote, unquote, haram or close to haram. And, that's, and that's, now it's... That's, that's actually one of the difficulties of the concept of orf. Because orf, uh, a translation that I like uh, is vernacular culture. I mean, the culture as it exists. The vernacular meaning that which is in circulation. Meaning not, if not anything having to do with provenance or where something comes from. So I remember uh, reading from one uh, Muslim scholar in the UK, a uh, controversial uh, Muslim scholar in the UK, talking about the, the, that Halloween was uh, halal, saying that trick or, or Halloween or something like this. And uh, his argument, his legal argument, was a strong argument that you know, when we judge a cultural practice, we don't judge where it comes from. We just judge what it is as it, as it, is. As it is in circulation. So people that trick-or-treat, if they say, you know, we don't do this, uh, and it's no demonic, uh, it's not, uh, we don't do this for like some uh, satanic uh, ritual. We just go out and put on costumes and ask for candy. You know, this scholar was saying that you would have to look and say, what is the hurma, you know, something being haram, and putting on a costume. 
And what is the hurma in asking someone for candy? And if you can't detect any hurma, you can't prove, you can't give me any legal proof that there's hurma in putting on a costume or hurma in asking for candy. And if that's what the person understands himself to be doing, then it's halal. And I was saying, I see what you mean in terms of legally. You know, if, if I say, okay, it's not haram to put on a costume. It's not haram to ask for candy. But this is where the tarbiyah aspect, mm, and this is right. where that cultural aspect, what are we nurturing in our children if they are just the imitators of cultural practices of others? You know, where do we put our foot down and, and say that, you know, as a Muslim, there is some distinctiveness that, that, that I should have that I should not just do everything that is legally acceptable because it's merely legally acceptable. But I do recognize that when I tell my children, no, no, you're not going trick-or-treating, and my children will not go trick-or-treating. You will not wear a costume. You will not participate in this activity at class. I tell them, I'm not making, I'm not saying that when you see Muslims that do, that they're going to hell. I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it's haram. I'm saying that the kind of Muslim culture that we are establishing is inconsistent with celebrating Halloween. You see? So it's 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 kind of like uh, you know, to 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 Gaither's point, stepping away from the legal a bit, you know, sometimes, you know, we have to be careful not to become these pan-legalists that if something is halal, that means we should do it. If something is uh, you know, it, you know, legally, if it's something is not haram, no, something could be not haram. Meaning it's not It's not something that, you know, is haram, but uh, it's still something that is inconsistent with the kind of culture we want to build. So to your point, I think the key is for, you know, people of like minds to come together to start building a Muslim culture, having a vision and that we recognize that, no, look, we're not saying that this is how it has to be done or this is the only way it can be done. This is the kind of Muslim culture that we want. We want a Muslim culture that prides itself on cultural expression and certain kinds of individuality and dignity, that we don't use profanity, that we don't use vulgarity. Not saying that, uh, you know, to do so is uh, haram or, you know, like you said, setting aside the discussion about hell and hurma. It's just not the kind of culture right. that we want. And I think that uh, it, 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 it requires some boldness, actually. Because when you're saying something is halal, the sharia can do all of your work for you. Someone says, why do you do this? Because Allah said, you know, uh, I have to. Or if something is thought of the faith, because Allah says, I have to. To do something cultural, you actually have to make your mind up. You know, I could do this any number of ways. But the way that I think is most reflective of ihsan it's this way. This is the way we want to do it. This is what we won't accept because we are deciding that we won't accept it. That's how a culture is built. Not that, you know, well, let's just look at the Sharia. The Sharia can't give us culture. Right. And, yeah, it's, and, a, it's a culture of the, it's a culture of, of that's rooted in the spirit. That's like a great point, uh, because right. I think a lot of our discussions about this topic is that, or is is rooted, it, it loses the spirit. I mean, like, there's something that may be permissible for you Islamically by the Sharia, but it's not in the spirit of what someone who's rooted in in, in the spirit and has, has had that upbringing. And, and, mm -hmm. and this was the detriment of, of other, you know, uh, faith groups that, you know, kind of mm -hmm. uh, took it, you know, 
mathematically the approach to their religion and and mm -hmm. therefore they lost the spirit of, of their practice uh, or, or at least apparently they did but um, you know uh, I wanted to you know circle back to the uh, very good point uh, of uh, centralizing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in, in our culture of how we because mm -hmm. you answered it very beautifully uh, in, in terms of that perplexity that I had and and uh, and you know with the advent of social media now, with with what we see uh, ahead of us, and uh, the seeming uh, equalized voice uh, that's given between the uh, learned and the unlearned, or the popular versus the learned. Uh, not so popular uh, personality. It seems that everything is up for grabs, and it seems that the uh, you know um, layman Muslims or or otherwise you know in, in our Western culture are being uh, you know kind of uh, up for grabs. It's like you know? an equal marketplace of it's ideas. A, and right. There's no right. And 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 I wanted to you know uh, you did mention that we have to be bold in terms mm -hmm. of creating that culture and about option C, uh, which mm -hmm. is actually very um, you know Alhamdulillah. Uh, you know, encouraging to 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 uh, to have, um, especially in in the multitude of uh, you know uh, landscapes that we have. But at the same time, in my personal you know, let's say uh, scrolling through Facebook or mm -hmm. uh, or Twitter or how short these ideas are are being given or like some of these very five minutes, one minute clips that we see, um, I wanted to um, ask uh, how to maybe take somebody, uh, somebody's uh, point of view or how to, uh, you know, see if that uh, bold move is really something I can, you know, share, you know, or something I can I kind of agree with and take along with me because I'm trying to move from the rigid that we talked about in the beginning of this uh, session when we were, uh, you mm -hmm. know, saying that, hey, we want to move away from that. We want to create something. But then uh, let's say in my mind, when I see a long status on Facebook, talking about something new in my mind the way i write somebody off it may not be uh through using uh let's say a bad uh pop culture reference mm -hmm. uh or maybe using a, a you know a profanity one word or mm -hmm. two words in that long status in my mind i write somebody off uh from being bold when he or she centralizes their nafs into being bold you know, when they centralize their, you know, um, uh, you know, their consuming uh, culture, mm -hmm. for instance, or their consuming uh, tendency, uh, in introducing something new. You know, a lot of that, for instance, comes in the form of Instagram posts. Sure. But if we like can that, be yeah. a little bit more practical. So mm -hmm. that's my write off. You know, I'm like, you know, you know, you know, my wife and I keep talking about uh, hijabi fashion, for instance. You mm -hmm. know, we keep talking about you know mm -hmm. certain new stuff that comes along. You know, it's amazing if you centralize Allah, you know, and if you centralize the spirituality oh. in it. Yeah. Whenever it becomes more just to become, you know, Popular an influencer or whatever, or whatever, yeah. or whatever. But see, the other part yeah. of that, Ghaidar, that I think is equally important is that the people that are at the center of a culture. They have to get used to being at the center. So, and so, 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 like, I'll give you an example of what mm -hmm. I'm talking about. So, you look at like, kind of Muslim civilization broadly. To my mind, the people at the center of that have always been the Adifin. You know, these people who uh, their lives were defined, you know, by worship. And then close to them, you have the scholars, you have the ulama, and they're at the center of the culture. But 
as you get out there on like the broad, like you get out there on the, the you know, like the the borders, you got Abu Nawas and you know, you got you got crazy stuff out there. You know, you got Mutanebi, you know what they call him Mutanebi, right? Because right. you know what I'm saying? Right. You know, Mutanebi means the false, you know, the one who claimed, you know, prophethood, you know. So you got you got heterodoxy out there. It's all kind of stuff on the edge of that culture. Now, what I find like to me, the most interesting thing about Muslim culture is that I'm at Azhar studying Arabic and we're reading some of the poetry of those writers. Right? So we can actually use the crazy stuff to do what's being done at the center because I feel like the force of the culture is at like like the most the the most prominent part are those people who those people of Ihsan who know a lot, those people of scholarship, and they're able to pull everything else in to like their usage of that like that stuff out there. Because they're able to create this centripetal force. Wait, which centrifugal, centripetal? I forget which one goes out, which one goes in. But they're able to create this force that pulls all of the craziness to the middle. And sometimes the people in the middle, the people that are about, you know, knowledge and about devotion and piety and ihsan, they have to create such a force that even the craziness will be pulled into good usage by that force. So when you look at like, you know, Islamic civilization broadly, you know, we've had all kinds of characters. I mean, you have the great Shafi'i, but you have Al-Jahid, who's a different kind of character, but they're both a part of this broader Muslim cult, this Islamic civilization, this Islamic culture. You know, you have, like, the kind of culture where both of those, uh, in a sense, can coexist. And I think that we have to produce a culture that's broad enough that this Muslim influencer that I think is, you know, misguided in some ways, I think is maybe involved with their ego in some unhealthy ways, that we can, we can, we can actually see what they're doing, uh, you know, um, as, uh, uh, you know. Catalyst, maybe. A catalyst mm -hmm. or kind of a, uh, uh, you know, a, I don't want to say perverted, but kind of a, a, a misconstrued ideal of ours. Like we really do value. So when I see like these fashions kind of thing and well, we really do value Ihsan and beauty. That, that, that actually is like Muslims have always been active cultural producers. Now, that is an expression of that that is disconnected from the center, disconnected from this root, disconnected from Allah and this messenger. And it would be even more beautiful if it were connected. But the fact that Muslims have held on to the desire to be beautiful, it's still, it's still connected to us in some way. And our goal begin, begins to be, how do we pull it close? Like, you know, come, you know, how do we pull you in? But we still see you as a part of us. But how do we pull you closer to the center? And I'm not saying that I'm one of the people in the center. Right. But, you know, to be in the center is not so much to reject or write off everybody on the outside. Right. And I wanted to, uh, to kindly to add, them, yeah. Try to pull them pull them in and yes. see that you're still connected. You know, I think they see that, you know, in your, you know, these these poets that wrote crazy stuff. It's like in your in the way that you use the Arabic language and your clear veneration of it. That is still a cultural ideal of ours. Of course, yeah. But the poetry you write is not 
connected. Correct. You know, yeah, I mean, come, you know, come closer. I want just to clarify that you know I write the opinion or I write the action, but I never write off the person. You know, mm-hmm. and, and it should mm-hmm. be always the approach for us because mm-hmm. it seems that. Uh, on the other hand, uh, and it's, it's mm-hmm. suffice to say that, you know, uh, uh, you know, we see oftentimes we see people saying some outlandish stuff, maybe based on a post or based on a picture or based, mm-hmm. and we tend to write the entire person sure. and the entire legacy and the entire history of what sure. they did and the services sure. they did to the community. Sure. We tend to write them off. Yeah. I totally do not, you know, you of know, course. ascribe to that. I, 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 and I hope that it's not being, uh, you no, know, no, I didn't, I didn't, that's not what I took from your statement. Right. At all. I, no, I, I, I wasn't trying to defend myself as much as I was trying to, uh, you know, uh, allude to the fact that, it seems also cultural nowadays that you know very eminent scholars or very eminent you know uh, servants of the community that ha- that have a huge track record of, of stuff happening you know uh, 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 to the community and and services seem to be written off based on this culture of rejection or based on mm-hmm. this uh, you know things that do not fit within the norm of what we perceive you doing mm-hmm. you know and um, and maybe help me Sadim here I'm trying to connect those two things together in a sense but um, you know I, I guess the political the um, uh, social uh, the the economic uh, you know differences between the different people how they practice their lives also serves into molding some of these cultural you know I, I aspects think, you know I think a lot of that has to do with you know we've become a culture of images and not words you know, now, you know, I think if you, if you look at just this major cultural shift, you know, we've become primarily a culture of images. And I think this kind of uh, write-off culture is kind of a byproduct of that. So that now it's not about what you say at the table. It's just about the fact that you were there, that there was an image of you sitting at a table with someone that I guess the person judging you thinks that you shouldn't, you shouldn't be uh, sitting with. That is enough to be have a person written off as a sellout, uh, you know. Uh, and I'm thinking, we don't even know what he said. He might have been advising uh, this uh, person to fear Allah. We, you, I mean, you don't know. You just saw a picture of him with this zalim, with this, uh, you know, oppressor. And that is enough to say, oh, my, you know, he's, you know. And then, you know, I, I think that some of this, you know, religion when a person is connected, and this is just my opinion, to something transcendent, everything else becomes procedural. So when we're more connected to Allah, politics becomes more procedural. That even if I differ with someone, say politically, I differ with you because I think your strategy is naive or I think your strategy is wrong, but I don't have this, I'm not kind of infusing politics with this religious value that like sitting, like your political stance makes you, it's like, you're a facet or something. It's like, no, no, it's not, it's not, it's political. It's not religious, you know, in that way. But I think for us, you know, all of these things are kind of intertwined, you know, and I think the social media, uh, this is like this, it has this great, uh, images have this ability to like level, like it's all, like it's all the same. But on the other hand, don't you think that uh, when a person is uh, emphasizing on this, forgetting that the masses may be disconnecting totally based on these perceived images, don't you think that uh, this is also detrimental, that an image, uh, you know, uh, although uh, you are saying 
uh, different stuff at the table, although you are ascribing to a certain, you know, um, uh, approach in politics or maybe in economics or in, in social life, you know, although these things have been, let's say, entrenched in, let's say, Sunni theology or fiqh sure, or, sure. Uh, or other denominations, you know, it seems that we are always disheartened by uh, the ma'alat, um, you know, of, mm. of, of how things are, you know, uh, ending up to be, you know, with the masses, especially that a lot of these, uh, you know, uh, you know, let's say um, navigational, uh, uh, forgive me, I'm here, I'm kind of losing my point, I guess, a lot of these point, uh, a lot of these perceived religiosities by the masses are being impacted by this. Well, I mean, we're also living in a time where, you mean, you know, going back to the idea of the center and on the periphery, where um, you could argue that the major influencers now um, are at the center. Which is, that's the real problem. Right. What, what Salim is addressing, the real problem is that, you know, uh, the people at the center, the people that are regarded as, like you say, the influencers, the people that, you know, have uh, the most uh, influence are actually not the people at you know connected to spirituality and to law and to ihsan. And I and think to, that that's you know. that's the concern I think for uh, for uh, for uh, certainly a lot of, of Muslims um, are conscious of this is because you know going back to the beginning we were talking about like you know uh, the legal aspect of it you know historically you know there have been there have been things and practices that were initially for example considered um, prohibited but then there then there was like a gray area time where just the the weight of the weight of of a society doing a certain action just eventually it just wore down attritionally and then to the point where it became accepted to the point where it was just like, you know, nobody talking you know, about it. And a, the concern is that, that like that these people at the center, the influencers at the center are going to try to take the the um, uh, the tradition as it is here in America. Well, you know what that means? That means that the people that are more adherent to the tradition, they have to produce an equally attractive uh, right, culture. they have to be. They can't be imitators. We have to be originators. They have, they have to produce an equally attractive culture, and 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 to have confidence that beauty will always be more attractive than ugliness. That yes, there is something, you know, like like one of the things that I think is important in this conversation is like when people talk about this issue, you find that they have a deep distrust of human beings. That. You know, if they see this glittery, shiny, but really detrimental, ugly uh, thing, they'll be attracted to it just because it's shiny and glittery. And I understand the fear. You know, human beings have been created weak. But I think part of the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ is about people being able to respond to beauty when they see it. See, one thing that we have to stay grounded in is the humanity of the Sahaba. They're human beings. What I mean now, none of us can reflect or radiate the beauty of the Prophet but we can we can we're trying to approximate some of it. So that we believe that if we do what we have to do in a truly beautiful way, the culture that we want to build, it can be attractive. Now, will it compete with you know a monetized popular culture in terms of its uh, diffusion and how widespread it becomes, maybe not. You know, you have, you know, entities that are deeply vested in in exporting a very uh, ugly uh, monoculture, 
all over the world. Will we be able to compete with that in terms of scope and scale? Maybe not. But in terms of intensity, to produce a culture that maybe is smaller, maybe does not have the widespread buy-in that some of those, you know, uh, commercial cultures have, but the people that are influenced by that culture are deeply influenced by it, and it also has waves that you know, you know, uh, you know, it has a ripple effect that 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 you know, kind of. Uh, I forget, I'm forgetting my words, but you know, it, it permeates the places that it that it goes. You know, it reverberates, it, it, it reverberates, it it permeates the places that it goes, and we can do that, man. We can do that, and and. Even if we can't, we should believe that we can. <laughs> you, know, so, you know, we can do that to create this this culture that you know, because and and, and also too, I, I'll say something. This Salim and Khaidar, one of the things that uh, you know heartens me that that gives me some confidence about what we can do is look at look at this hipster culture. Look at look at look at you know uh, this culture of people wanting to return to organic foods. Now there was now now before now it itself has become like it's something co-opted now it's mm-hmm, been right. taken over by the same corporate entities that you know but it was this small little culture of people that were like into healthy food into wholesome food against a a, a whole industry of people that were selling genetically modified foods and but look at how that culture has grown look at how that culture has grown so that now you see about as many whole foods as you do, you know, grocery stores that don't have that same ethos. Like those, like that, that can happen. Look at what's happening now. Like, you know, people don't want the fake. They don't want the artificial. They want re- handmade things. They want artisan goods. Like that, that culture is, it's, it's spreading. It's developing. You know, people want things that are natural, things that are real. They don't want stuff that's like art. People want things with character. You know, I go to my favorite you know, burger spot there's reclaimed barn wood in there. You know, they don't want, like, and I'm like, I'm watching this culture spread. Now, as a Muslim, I'm thinking, what's the use of being connected to nature if you're not connected to the creator of nature? Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> you, you know, what's the, you know, it's almost like, but to recognize that is what, this yearning, this something stirring in their souls, Man, I want something real. So when we introduce them to El Haq, the real, if we do it beautifully, it satisfies, it satisfies something. And we have to believe, like, you know, people, people have this, 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 you know, the, kind of this uh this dualistic nature of the human being. But yeah, there is a part of us that inclines toward the uh, you know, enough amado to be There's a, a part of us that is consistently commanding to evil. That's a part of being human. But there also is this part of us that wants to be al-mutma'innah, that wants to be complete. And I think in every human being, you have both of those. You have that fitrah and you have that darkness. And they're always in competition. So if we can create the culture that appeals to that fitrah, don't, don't sleep on its ability to attract people. I mean, it It happens. It, I wanted it, to it uh, uh, piggyback off of this point. Oh, uh, muscles, uh, muscles, so, camelback, camelback. No piggy, no piggy, no piggy, no piggy, no piggy, no piggy. Well, Zakallah Khair. I mean, it's the orfra here, right? It's the orfra, right? With 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 this 
uh, point and um, uh, with the, um, I guess, emphasis on producing culture, uh, us uh, Muslims in the West are kind of keen on also uh, fending off the uh, other or fending off the things that are detrimental to our well-being spiritually and especially when raising kids. Uh, mm-hmm. And when we talk about this topic, you know, and this entire, you know, atmosphere of culture and how we want to place ourselves in it, the kids are important because we are all parents or we're going to be parents. And then we're going to, you know, uh, disseminate some of that culture to our kids. But yet most of our surroundings as Muslim parents, at least, uh, are trying to fend off, I know. you know, and, 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 and all people defense. like, you all know defense. what, man, I do understand that we need to do this, but we need to produce, we need to be, you know, uh, strong in our, you know, Muslim American culture, or at least in the Muslim part of it. And we need to, you know, yeah, be bold, but guess what? I am, you know, very tired of trying to correct understandings with my kid, you know, yeah. and he, they come in with liberal issues. They come yeah, in with yeah, like yeah. how to be friends with, uh, you know, their, you know, other kids are from LGBT, LGBT uh, Q, you know, communities. Yeah. We're trying to centralize the political talk in America. Are we conservatives? Are we liberal? Are we not? I got something about that, man. You know, it, you know, for me, you know, I remember, uh, you know, uh, a friend of mine who, I haven't spent a lot of time with, I'd like to spend more time with, uh, Professor Yusuf Casewit. Uh, he was speaking once, and he was saying, you know, we look at, you know, some religious people, they look at the time in which we live and how confusing uh, things are. And uh, we, we, we grow uh, despondent or disheartened. It's so bad out here, man. He said, you know, the people of Allah would be rejoicing for a time like this. Because this is where the friends of Allah, those people that really know Allah, they are made in a context like this. You know, because of its difficulty, because of the challenges of being here. And I I, I completely empathize with your point of not wanting to raise schizophrenic uh, children. children. Because their engagement with the world is going to be a reality as long as they're here. You know, they, they have to go to work. They have to go to school. They'll probably go somewhere to exercise. They have to go a place to seek entertainment. They have to shop. They have, So you don't want them to have an expression of Islam that's all defense. And then they still have to go out there so that when, when they get out there, it's like, okay, Islam has nothing to do with this. Islam is just opposed to this. So let me just kind of step into my... You know, it's like getting into role. It's like that guy who has never learned how to just be a cordial, respectful, uh, I would say respectfully distant gentleman when dealing with a member of the opposite gender, right? Whatever the hell gender, oh, no profanity. <laughs> you know, whatever hey, hey, gender. Again, as orifice changed, yeah. right? Whatever, whatever gender now they, is. Now they use, quote unquote, heck. Yeah, it's like, it's like, you know, you know, you know. Whatever gender is these days, right? Yeah, right? But a person that's never learned just this consistent pattern of how to have adab in his context, how to be muta'adib, how to, you know, how are you? I'm fine. And just keep some distance and appear that, you know, I'm cordial, I'm, I'm, I'm collegial, but I don't want to sit and have a, an in-depth conversation with a woman that I'm not married to. But I don't want to uh, uh, be uh, alienated. 
from my classmates, colleagues, teammates, and just learning how to do that in a seamless way. The guy who doesn't learn that, but instead goes to work, hi, Donna, you know, hey, you know, two-hour frivolous conversations and, you know, all kinds of, you know, uh, physical contact. And then he goes to the masjid, stuck for the law, those women, I can hear their voices, you know, I can see their feet, you know. He's learned a kind of schizophrenia that when I'm in a majority non-Muslim space, I'm a certain way. I come into a Muslim space. Now it's time to, you know, uh, perform, you know, my Islamic practice. And that certainly has been one of the, the schizophrenia, as you term it, has been an issue with a lot of the you know Muslims today and Muslim youth, you mm-hmm. know, just basically... Ending up basically leaving the religion or having a serious they can't deal with the schizophrenia. It, it becomes but, too much for. But them. to go to the point, I guess, of what you were talking about before in terms of being um, originators of a distinct uh, American Muslim culture, which I think is very much rooted in this sense of like confidence and a, and certainty and yaqeen in in who it. you are. Do you think just that culture in itself, by developing that culture and raising our kids within that subculture, if you want to call it that, is that enough to obviate? Um, a lot of the the very difficult, you know, interactions and and, and um, doubts that may develop in dealing with the I would say surrounding Allah, monoculture. I, 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 I would say Allah Musta'an. Allah Musta'an. Allah is the, the one from whom help is sought. But I do think cultivating in children this this relationship to the other, meaning people, that we as the Ummah of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We are the sincere well-wishers of these people, all of them. You know, our goal is to enhance their lives. Ultimately, you know, if they accept the Prophet as a prophet, but even if they don't, just everywhere that we go, hopefully as people from whom goodwill emanates, we should be comfortable wherever we are. That that you know the thing that makes us comfortable is not that we know all of the slang terms, or that we or that we dress the same way that you do, or that we have the same cultural norms that you do. That's not what makes us comfortable in the space. What makes us comfortable in the space is that we know who we are and we know who you are. We are the Ummah of Muhammad Wasallam, and you are also, in a sense, from the Ummah of Muhammad Wasallam, because he is the one that was sent to you. One of the most beautiful things I heard from a sheikh was everybody that you come into contact with now is from the ummah of Muhammad alayhi wasalam, because he is the prophet that was sent to them. Ummah to dawah. Ummah to dawah, ummah to istijabah. So when we meet people, we don't see them even as like complete outsiders. Our goal is to facilitate your entry into this faith. And it doesn't mean just do explicit preaching. We're not proselytizers. I don't, you know, I, I don't think we need to produce like these sophisticated Muslim missionaries. Uh, that that you know, some, quite frankly, sometimes the the artificiality of that culture is is something that is it doesn't, you know. Now I do connect with that that zeal and that belief that Islam is good for people. And I think we have to keep that. We don't want to just make, make Islam just this kind of subjective, you know, it's something that works for me. It's my truth, you know. No, Islam is the truth. But this kind of inauthentic, uh, 
irsats kind of, uh, you know, just want you to be Muslim so that our roster of Muslims can increase or something like that. I, I personally don't like that culture. But we should see people that we come into contact with as from us. And our, our relating to them should be in that spirit. And this is what makes me comfortable. That I'm always, I'm a member of the Ummah of Muhammad I'm always comfortable with the other because the other is no other to me. You see, I remember, um, you know, I, I know you guys are pious and you have never watched a movie before, I'm sure. Uh, but please, I wish, please, I wish. please keep on. Uh, <laughs> I, just quoted the, gone, uh, right. I just quoted Gone with the Wind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 please no, open up the floodgates of pop culture so that I can <laughs> never <laughs> shut up. <laughs> yeah, but, but I, you know, I, I do enjoy old movies, you know, black and white movies. And um, one of my favorite uh, actors actually is a, an actor named Edward G. Robinson. He's a little short guy. He played oh, yeah. in Public Enemies yeah, 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 and... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He a little, little short fella. And, he, and, and people would praise uh, his acting because he could play such a diversity of roles. He, you know, he could be in Ten Commandments. He could be a gangster. He could be a, a guy running an orphanage. He just had this range as an actor. And uh, once an interviewer asked him, you know, what do you attribute your range to as an actor? And he said, this is like, Balagha Angelizia. This is like an eloquent. This is like this is Balagha. This is like rhetoric in uh, English. And they said he said my my range as an actor. He said I don't know. I guess it's because nothing truly human is alien to me. You know. Mm. You know. He said you know I guess it's because nothing truly human is alien to me. And I think that if we have this idea of like. Uh, like, you know, El Insanul Kamil, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, right? Nothing truly, now some things are inhumane, and we should have difficulty connecting with those things. But in all of the states of the human being, none of it should be completely alien to me. You know, I remember one sheikh saying, every act of beauty you see, and every act of ugliness you see, it first emanates from a human heart. Just a human, just a human being. Sometimes when people get like into these, you know, like like a lot of progressives, I, you know, I say to them, you know, they, of course for them they talk about like Nazism is like the apex human evil that has ever taken place. And I say, you know, what was it? What, what was Hitler besides a human being? What were the people who followed him besides human beings with the same frailty, same weaknesses that Shaitan can play on that you have, that anybody can fall victim to if we're not vigilant. If we're not careful, this is what it, like, you know, I, I think that there's this kind of like transhuman element to some of this progressivism. Like, we're something different than that. I'm different than that. And we have to be careful as Muslims not to have, when we see these people, what do we think they are besides human, just Benny Adam, just human beings, the, Ameri the LGBT, uh, all of it. Benny Adam at different, at different levels of either moral perfection or debasement. And all of us have that you know, potential. All of us could be that. So our comfortability with the culture around us should be based on deep understandings of the human condition, not the superficial, you know, I wear Nikes too, bro. You know, or, you know, I, you know, I also, uh, you know, watch uh, the, the, the marvelous Miss Maisel or, you know, something, you know, I, I know about that stuff too, bro. No, no, I'm connected because I get it. I, you know, I, 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 I have an understanding of the human condition that I see all of us as a part of this continuum 
trying to reach Allah and we're, we're, we're human beings that have gone through different levels of trauma, pain. Uh, you know, uh, we have different you know, interests. We have different... I, I can see all of that. And it, it's all very beautiful. It's all, you know, it's all, you know, I just went totally hippie on you guys. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, it's it's all, you know, we're all a part of the same story. We're all a part of the same story. So this is kind of like, when we think like of, of, of an Islamic cosmopolitanism, an Islamic humanism, it's because we're following the one what, that was truly human, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. You know, right? So we, we we shouldn't feel this kind of. We, there should be no need to be schizophrenic. There should be no lack of confidence. Just like, you know, uh, you know, just relax. You know, they're, they're just human beings. And when you express a culture of beauty, you similarly are just a human being. Just everybody, just cool out. Too much is being made of this. Right? Too much is being made of this. Just cool out. They they drink. I don't drink alcohol. Should I feel what? Insecure about that? We drink Rohafsa. Now, should I feel insecure about that? But I would say, you know, the festivity that develops around alcohol, I, it's even mentioned in the Quran. You know, there's some good in it. There's some bad. A lot of the Mufassirun say the, the good that is being referred to in that ayah, all of the festivity that is developed around alcohol. So the idea that people are festive, I get that. That's why we have Eids. But there's a way to be festive and there's a way that we shouldn't be festive. But it's not that like I'm an alien to like every, something is happening around me. Even something I remember, if I can be you know, somewhat personal, you know, I remember seeing one sheikh. And he was asking me about a close family member. And I mentioned that. You know, I hadn't seen him in a while. And then he asked me why. And I said, well, you know, he's a drug addict. You know, he's from heroin addict and he looked at me he said you know in another life in another place he might have been a great Sufi and I said huh like it was like that crazy it was like I was like what he said you know you have some people for whom the dunya is just a place of pain man it's just a place that they want to escape from it's a place that they don't want to be they want to get high we have a tradition where we can understand that but we actually are here to show people how to do it. Not in a self-destructive way with heroin rushing through your veins, but through the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the idea that you want to be high, I get that. That this dunya, the, the, the mundaneity of this dunya is something that isn't attractive to you. Just the mundane, I want to be, I want to get high, man. I want to be above this. I want to, you know, there's other states of consciousness that I want to know. So I use cocaine. That usage of cocaine might be like morally reprehensible to me, but that that human wanting to be above, wanting to be high, I get that. I follow one that ascended the seven heavens in the miraj. I know what it is to want to be high, but there's a way you do that. So we should we have to have an understanding of the seerah and sunnah of the Prophet that makes it easy for us to connect to human beings in different states of their of their being. That's the only way that I think we can guide them. I think on on that note, uh, you know, I know you've got to go, Sheikh. So we don't want to keep you any any longer. But um, I really want to thank you for for joining us on on this uh, 
this discussion which uh, mm-hmm. inshallah hope i hope we hope to have you on again to maybe inshallah talk about khair. some there's inshallah some other khair. things we want to talk about we want to talk about a little bit about some other issues but we didn't ha- we don't have the time but um, well you know when 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 chatterboxes get together man we just chatter man you <laughs> yeah. know, we never yeah. we never stick to the agenda you know it's just we just um, go yeah yeah we just inshallah, go. you know we we, we uh we really appreciate you taking the time I mean, and no, we're really been, honored to have a, you on it's been an honor and a privilege man to converse uh with the Iman wire team um uh you know, I, I want to, um, uh, you know, people who do tune in uh, to Iman Y, I want to, you know, urge them to continue tuning in. And, uh, you know, people that are like still scratching their heads, like, what the heck were they? Heck. Yeah. What the heck? Yeah. There you we know, go. What the heck were they talking about? Um, to just, you know, appreciate that even if our conversation moved around a lot of different places and it wasn't completely coherent, it wasn't like a very linear Boom, 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 boom. We're just three people trying to worship Allah, trying to follow the Prophet Muhammad uh, in a context, in a context that is perplexing, that is dizzying. So sometimes as we think out loud and we have to actually have a certain confidence uh, in ourselves and in each other to even like just... It does sound confused because we are confused. It's like I mean, we're just scratching the surface right now, and you're not. You it's know, spontaneous. For it's the like, listeners, we're not giving you a linear approach yeah, to no, a solution no, we're, as well. We're, we're, we're just, we're just to, in the, yeah. we're in like in a cipher. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, like yeah, I mean, like you know, not too long ago, one time I put something out on social media, and a lot of people were, didn't like it, and one person I was interacting with, and you know. I, I personally had we didn't get in discussion but I just said like I'm sorry I wasn't able to get into your discussion they had been ripping me on this other side discussion I just said you know and he was like oh no it's okay I'm like you know, listen you know we're all we're all just trying to figure things out you know yeah. that's all, about, all I'm you saying know, everybody who's who's fighting on social media Muslims and stuff like that everyone has like I don't believe anyone has like a has, has a has a uh, uh, you know a wrong intention we're all trying to do good just trying know? to, we're all trying to just out. figure and that, stuff and out and that's what I was saying to the, the listeners is that what you heard today, I'm just trying to figure this out. Man, this isn't like my program and I've thought through this and, you know, and my book is coming out in October. You know, I just, <laughs> I'm just trying to figure this out, you know. I'm just trying to figure this out. So I appreciate uh, people uh, indulging me uh, and being patient with me uh, as my thinking about these issues continues to evolve and grow. And hopefully I continue to evolve and grow. Um, as a person, so Jazakumullah khairan. May Allah yeah. preserve you, Sheikh, and your family. Yeah. And uh, again, to our listeners, Saad uh, Abaydullah is a scholar, ref, uh, scholar um, with uh, Alam, uh, and uh, the Alam program is this summer. And they're still taking applications? For We're it? still taking applications. The summer program will begin uh, shortly after Ramadan. You can uh, apply at alamprogram.org. Alamprogram.org. Uh, We're taking applications. Uh, our program, I, I say this, um, of course, with reservations, because it's never good to be a self-promoter, although the culture now, everyone can do it. Um, it you, uh, students who come are not disappointed. Uh, it's a life-changing program. You know, we engage students. We give them an opportunity to ask, you know, those those uh, difficult questions. And uh, we, we, we deliberate about them collectively, so... Yeah, I mean, I can speak from uh, knowing people who have mm-hmm. gone there. That, that it's definitely been a, a, a please very, come very please come uh, amazing experience. And, you know, it's just a summer program, so you know, there's really not an excuse for. Yeah, for a lot of folks. come through, come through. You won't be disappointed, inshallah. So jazakallah khair, Jazakallah khair, for joining me again today, and thank you to all the listeners uh, for joining us for another podcast. 
uh, please give us your feedback. You send us a tweet at Iman Wired or email us at imanwired at almadinensu.org. Uh, all your feedback really helps. You know, rate rate us on iTunes. Give us five stars. Subscribe to the podcast. And really, the most important thing, share your, share this podcast um, with your friends and family. Anyone you think may benefit, that all really helps in getting this out to a broader audience. And we thank you for that. Until then, we hope to see you again in the next program. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be unto you. Oh, I'm